Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I'm the opposite of poker face. I reveal too much. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I was so unpopular in high school. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. The whole system is broken. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. My kids have the uh, blessing of nerddom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about your and our best advice for dealing with teenagers. Dealing with teenagers. I have two now. I have two. I have a newly minted. I have two. That's right. (laughs) You're out the other side. I have one that's so old. Right. Exactly. Hard as that might be to believe, they do eventually get spit out of that water slide into young adulthood. Yeah. So we'll talk about that some other time. I feel like that's the good news, really. It's pretty good. I got to say so far. Life with a 20 something. Yeah. I like that. So you've survived a full teenage dump. Yes. Now I have a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old and then one older. And how about you? How old are your teenagers? Well, I still have an 11-year-old and then I have 13 and 14. So we're just creeping okay. into 13, it. 13, 14, 15, 18. This is good because we got 13, 18. We got early We teen- got everybody. We got everybody. And it, wouldn't you agree that 13 and 18 really deserve separate episodes? Those They're not the same thing. They sound alike, but we'll try to cover the waterfront today. And one of the things I think that's real, I was just talking to someone about this the other day, that like the range of experiences are really different too. Like I know 13 year olds who are dealing with what I would call like real teenage stuff, you know, like parties and drugs and drinking and like all the big ticket items. I have, I don't know, immature, sheltered, whatever. Like, my teens are young teens. Like, they are still, like, their idea of a great Friday night is, like, getting McDonald's and being allowed to play video games. And so I think there's a huge range of teenage experiences. Yes. Yes. I have, I would say, sort of a combination. You would think... If you, you know, watch Gossip Girl or whatever, that just like Manhattan is just this sort of 
Gamora of craziness. And, and it isn't, it isn't. It, you, yeah. you would be surprised. These kids are more sheltered in certain ways. And of course, we don't have to worry about drunk driving in Manhattan. I mean, at least of our kids. Heaven forbid the taxi driver is, is sober while he's driving my children. Well, it's funny because I remember getting to college and I had grown up in the suburbs of New York, but like New York City was our spot. I went to school in New York City and the really wild kids freshman year of college were like this country mice like they had just been like up <laughs> fresh to, off the farm i don't know like somehow like they just would wander out to some like yard in the middle of nowhere and just get crazy as teenagers in a way that yep. just was not familiar to me at all let me pull something from my spouse's own past when in his teenage years he liked to go what they called back the sack which was a field and we grew up in the same town. I was not you weren't invited back to, to sack. back to sack. No, no, I was not. I was going to debate tournaments. No lie. And he was going back to sack, which was just a field with a bonfire and, you know, a couple cases of beverages. Yeah, that's right. We definitely have like the woods in our town and like there's definitely a shed somewhere that stuff is going on. And uh, I would say that my kids have the um, blessing of nerddom in that they are not too challenged. I mean, I always say that because I was so unpopular in high school. You really have to be popular to struggle with a lot of the struggle issues, which are like (laughs) people don't offer you drugs when you're like a super nerd in high school. Like true. It just didn't come up a lot for me because I never got invited to any parties. And in a lot of ways, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm trying to replicate that for my own kids. And it's not even that I'm trying that hard. They're doing fine at being nerds themselves. But it's definitely I think it can be easier when you have kids who are not living in the fast lane. Yes, it can. And if you're listening right now with like your baby on your hip thinking like, la 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 la, I don't want to know any of this stuff. It's going to be okay. We're walking you through some good advice today. And I want to segue to the first one because I feel like it's relevant. Darren says her best advice for dealing with teenagers is to keep your face in check. This is great. In our notes, I flagged this for you because I know that you've had some facial problems with your children. I'm the opposite of poker face. I reveal too much. Yeah, like I reveal what I'm thinking. Yes. So, but I have learned this. Darren says, whether your kids just told you something ordinary or they told you something outrageous or they told you something outrageous about a kid who you've known since they were three, like whatever it is, your face and your voice need to stay calm. Darren says big reactions will shut down conversations and keep your kids from coming back. I'm practicing this right now. Agree, but I'm terrible at this. I mean, I really am. And I want my kids to be able to tell me anything, but I do tend to go insane when they tell me things, which is counterintuitive. But I think that my husband is better. I think Mm -hmm. if you have a spouse in the home and you can tag team this, like it's different skills for different. I mean, I think that my kids are afraid of me, which has its upsides, and then not afraid of their dad, which has upsides too. I mean, that's way too simplistic, but I think that like, if they wanted to talk about something, they would go to their... I think we have, as I've often said on the podcast, a gender stereotype reverse marriage. And yeah, they are more comfortable talking to their dad, but they know that the hammer will come all the way down if they step out of line. It's with me. If you are sort of the 
we talk about being the askable parent, right? Which means in terms of like, yeah, like I'm here if you have any questions. This is a little bit different, I think. Like I'm learning that this is a way in. My kids will come home and tell me about big things that are happening to sometimes their friends, sometimes just kids they know. Like so-and-so almost got kicked out of school because they did this. So-and-so had to be taken from, you know, a party in an ambulance to the hospital and they're going to be okay. But, and these are also the times when you have to keep your face like very still and then use that as the way in because you will be surprised like, oh, I didn't think I would be talking about this with my freshman, but I guess we are now. And you have to just use those opportunities to be like, okay, so let's talk about what would happen if this were you. What would I want you to do? Because otherwise... You don't want to wait until it's happening to your kid, obviously, but you also don't want to be like, what? Well, that would never happen in our house. Like, yeah, like it could happen. Like, no judgment towards the kids who are having struggles. Anything could happen. And that I think two points. One, I did a show a long time ago, comedy show, and I used to have a bit about how my parents and I communicated when I was a teenager. And it was that they would be like, they would try to find out kind of what was going on by being like, this was their question. What percentage of the kids in your class are smokers? You know, I mean, I feel like now they vape, you know? Oh, yeah, you've told me that. So this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm vaping, right. And But back in our day, it was smoking. And that basically my answer would clue them in into my interest level in doing that activity. So I would be like... Having a beer at a party, I would say like 70% of kids are doing that, meaning like I'm also kind of thinking about doing it and or participating. You're 70% okay with doing it, yeah. <laughs> but if they were like, how many kids in your class are doing IV drugs? I'd be like, oh, like 2%, like almost nobody. They would be like, okay, that's way out of bounds. And it was like this funny communication system that we had that was a little bit off the subject, but it allowed us to talk about things in a way that helped them gauge a little bit where I was with stuff. I love that. Yeah, it was useful. It was real useful. Missy, this is another one that I know to be true and I can't always do it. Missy says, when you're in the car with your teenagers and their friends, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. You learn a lot. Such good advice when I'm driving my teenagers and their friends around. I just like I'm so fond of these kids, particularly if they're kids you've known since like we were saying before, since they were three. I have a hard time not being like, oh, I know. And like, I'm so happy for you. You got a scholarship. And oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. What do you think you want to major in? I want to chat with them while they're in my car. But the better thing to do is just be silent chauffeur and let the conversations unspool. I agree with this. I just have to do it. Oh, I'm another step wrong from you, which is I want to scold them about their creepy behavior <laughs> and be like, who just left a wrapper in my bag? See, like... I need to make some adjustments before Teen Dome. I have my 11-year-old is throwing a little gathering for her friends. And her only ask was that there be no adults around because adults ruin everything. And I was like, yeah, that's a no from me because I'm not having unchaperoned 11-year-olds over. But I did say we will... Be a presence, like coming in and out and filling up bowls of things, but we won't sit in like a line of chairs just watching for faults. Like, oh, your foot's over the line right there. Right. And it was a funny kind of revelation the way she explained it, that my presence would ruin it. And I get it because I do run a very, very tight ship that is probably too tight sometimes. And like you want them to be able to have fun and let loose and be a little bit naughty. And if you're just there, like, like calling every foul, it's not that fun. 
Or even saying like, hey, girls, right? Or even being like, cool, mom. Right. We just had, my youngest had most of her eighth grade class over to our house for a reunion. That sounds like a lot of people. It wasn't. She had a tiny eighth grade class. So let's say it's going to be like 25 kids. And we also, because we live in an apartment building, have a party room, like a place you can rent for parties. Of course, it's not supposed to be, again, unsupervised 14-year-olds. So I had this agreement with her that my husband and I would take turns, you know, coming into the party. And I only found out later that because my husband was sort of like, I'm running out of things to say. I'm like, what are you saying? Like when it was my turn, I was going down with a roll of paper towels that was not strictly required and wiping a counter that did not strictly need to be wiped. Right. And keep like one half of one eye on what was happening in the next room and then leave. And he was going down when it was his turn because he didn't understand the assignment and was like, hey, so what's going on? Like, hey, so what's up with the, how's, <laughs> how's that going? Lady? Anybody scared? You know, this. Yeah. And so I was like, no, 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 you're not you're supposed to have, you have an excuse to walk in. Right. Stop talking. No, no, no. Stop talking mm-hmm. and be a little bit like, you know, leave room for the Holy Spirit, as they used to say in our days to the kids who were a little too close together. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think. Overall, the theme of teenage dumb is letting go a little bit, right? Like these kids who have been in your life and you've been strapping them in and like literally feeding them and then feeding them whatever you choose and being at the table. And it is this thing of letting that line go out farther and farther and farther But you still have this very important role in helping them make the right decisions. I mean, it's a very tough time because of that, because you're like, on the one hand, I want you to feel this sense of independence. On another hand, I don't want 40, 14 year olds unsupervised and doing nonsense. Right. So I'll be there sometimes. I'm there in case you need me. It's sort of you're floating. You're like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. You're just sort of available if anybody needs you. I have mentioned this advice of my mom's before. I very much adhere to it, but tell me what you think of it. She was always team, set the rules tighter than you actually want the kids to behave. Yeah, yeah. I think it can be right, and then sometimes I think it can go wrong in that I definitely know kids who were raised in... I will say usually strict religious households with like very, very strident rules who kind of busted out Hulk-like from those rules and went crazy. <laughs> like, I don't think you want to be like, you may never use a curse word until you're 25. Like, you have to keep it tight, but not suffocating. And then understand that like, okay, they're going to go outside of what you want a little bit. Yeah, you have to allow that to happen. I mean, it won't, it's no fun being a teenager if you don't pull something over on your parents. But if that pulling something over, that's why you keep it tight, right? Like, I actually don't care if they stay out until 1130 instead of 11. Even if you give them a little like, I noticed what time you came home, young lady, like a little bit of that is sort of part of your job, too. Like, you're both playing a part in that. Yeah. And I think especially much more so for our generation, I think it is harder for our generation and the generations below us for whom being maybe this isn't true because maybe parents in the 60s felt this too but like being cool and like hip and like not square was very important that it can be hard to find yourself in the role of like young man you will not use that language in this house like wait a minute how did i become i feel like i was sneaking beer into the party two days ago like how am i suddenly the person who's like that will not stand in my house but I think you got to be able to make that turn. 
Yeah, they probably have less of a hard time seeing you as the authority figure than like, like I'm cool, mom. Like I'm cool and funny and clearly like just one of you. Like, no, they, they're very clear that you are not. So what else they have say. no problem seeing me as the uncool mom. But I do have some problems seeing myself as the uncool mom. All right. More advice for teenagers after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. I think this is good advice from Jennifer. Jennifer says that parents of teenagers should remember that it's better for them to fail in life when they still live at home and have us to help them through it. I need to learn this right now because I have somebody who's getting ready to leave for college and there's so much paperwork and things you sign up for and placement tests and did you do your roommate form and all that kind of stuff. And it's a lot to keep track of. And I'm like, did you do this? Did you? And I'm trying to back off and tell myself, like, if you don't get the roommate request form in on time, like they will come looking for you. You will get an email. Something's missing. Like you have to let them miss a deadline within reason. You see what I'm saying? Not like not send the check in or whatever, but something little ways they can not quite make the mark and then be like, oh, shoot, I guess I better pay closer attention next time. They need to do that while they're still living with you. 100% right. Also, I think that for the person listening with the kid on their hip, like this is a process that starts very young, you know, like letting them fail and letting them make mistakes and figure out their own way 
there was, you know, recently the story in the news about this plane that crashed in the Amazon and these four little kids survived, you know, and yes, because one of them had been taught survival skills. I heard I didn't really. Yeah, I think so. But I think the oldest kid was like 12 or 13, like quite young. And one of the kids was a baby, you know, and listen, you're not teaching your kids to survive that. That's not it. But I do think that sometimes we think like, oh, the process of independence starts at college and it really doesn't like it starts with I'm going to take my bike into town with my friends. And I recently had the experience where I was driving around and saw my kid and her friend in town doing something vaguely against the rules, very vaguely. It was small, but I came later that night at dinner. I was like, hey, I heard that you were blah, 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 blah in town. And I mean, saucer eyes, but I always like to play into the image of like, I'm everywhere. Like I will always fight. So you have all this independence, but if you get up to shenanigans, I'm going to find out and you're going to be in trouble. And that's going to mean something to Mm. you. They do have to learn this stuff and the handing over and the giving them more responsibility, at least in my case, I'm talking about an 18 year old, not a 13 year old, older teenagers. It's been successful for me with each of my two older teenagers to be kind of honest about this. Like when it's like, you didn't hand this woman and you were supposed to. Well, I thought you were going to remind me. It's like, you know, you're right. Up until now, it's always been mom just handles this stuff. Mom will remind you we're moving into a new thing. So we're going to have to figure out a new way of doing things. So what do you think? And then put the plan on them. But, you know, don't just immediately be indignant. Like, well, what's going to happen when you go to college? Like, they're right. You were, you know, wiping their behinds. And at some point you're stopping doing that. And they need visibility on that as older teenagers. And I think some of the conversations that we have, people kind of roll their eyes out of like, we'll include kids in the decision. And, you know, people get very like uh, tweet, tweet about the whole like, well, four year old, what are your feelings and how can we help you help yourself? Like that kind of style and language. I get why people roll their eyes at it. But I do think as you go along and being able to have conversations where you say, well, we're going to go away. I would like to leave you at home. Here are the kind of choices that I expect. And the thing is, if you have people over unsupervised, then we can't do this again. It's a drag for you because you won't have any independence. And it's a drag for me because I really want to go away. So what does that look like? And what do those choices look like? And I do think that these are the conversations that build from the time they're quite young is being able to say, here's what you want. Here's what I want. Where's the center of those two things? And how do we get there together versus respect my authority? Never question because you don't want them to just suddenly like throw everything you've ever said off and be like, I reject one piece of this. And therefore I reject everything this person ever has to say. (laughs) Right. The whole system is broken. Laura says teens have big feelings about things we might find trivial. Let them have those big feelings. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should just call this episode things that are true, but also very hard for us. I know it is, though, like uh, I was definitely raised in an Irish Catholic family where like, you know, a ton of like emotionality and indulgence in our feelings was not paramount. And I definitely struggle with it still like this is not a reasonable reaction to this. This level of drama that we're creating and, you know, teens do a lot of things that you can see through, right? It's like, mom, you're so great. I'm like, what do you want? How much money? Like, you know, I kind of skip right 
past. It's not like I'm playing at a much higher level than they are, frankly. And I can see through some of the nonsense that they're doing. And it is often my instinct to be like, cut it out. I know what you're doing. Sometimes it's like you got to let it breathe a little bit. And I definitely do struggle with you've got to let it breathe. The flip side of not looking emotionality is that. I have trouble disappointing kids. Like when my kids are really emotional because I'm like, you cannot do this thing that I know is a bad idea for you or you must do this thing that I know is a good idea for you. And they cry. I definitely have an instinct to be like, never mind, never mind. Let's just skip it. And I find that the older they get, the harder that is. Their emotions seem really real and it seems really mean to hurt their feelings. And it's hard. Sure. Like a 13 year old in tears is just every Tuesday. Right. And they. An 18-year-old in tears is a little bit less frequent, maybe, and harder. Right. Yeah. Once an hour. But like a four-year-old in tears is like, okay, fine. Even a 13-year-old in tears, I find that like those teens get into those really like racking sobs. And even though it's like you really can't fight their battles for them, but it is hard. Like it's not dismissible to be like, Stacy is an idiot and we don't care about her opinions. But when you see the kid crying, both I'm like, Stacy's a moron who cares and I'm going to go burn Stacy's house down myself. You know, that's the problem. I'm sort of sucked in on both sides. That's the other mistake that I think sometimes parents of teenagers make is like is overcorrecting in the like of course I take your thing seriously she just texted you again what did she say now right like every text has to be parsed like you don't dismiss it as relationships are stupid and someday my child you'll understand you don't have real problems but on the other hand you don't engage with their the minutia of who said what to who in the same way that they do you've got to give them a little bit of a remove you got to give them a longer view, neither dismissing it nor living every moment of it with them. Yeah. And I think especially with teenagers, it's like you're the hearth keeper in a way like you have created, hopefully, a home and a set of values and a loving space. And you're letting them like wander farther and farther from it. But you want them to like be the space to come back to, you know, or as Posey says, they're net to fall into. Right. They're net to fall into. You're not fighting the fight, but if they fall off the edge, you're, you're the net, right? You're, you're more passively available. I think passively available is a really good way to say it and a really hard thing to do, especially Marin says, I mean, she uses the term soiling the nest, which you've used many times, that there is a psychological concept that kids who are anxious about leaving home, which spoiler alert is every kid, they tend to be like, this place stinks. I never liked it here. Their feelings of are complicated around leaving home. And so they try very specifically to make home a place where they don't want to be or define it as like a bad place so that they don't feel as bad leaving. Guess who else does this? The parents of the teenagers who will still be leaving. We also, there's a psychological thing that we do. We're also like, I can't wait. Like, can't come soon enough, September. Let's go. You are out of the driving me nuts. Like, I can't wait. And you don't mean it. And you'll still <laughs> cry that day when you drive away. But that feeling that you have, like, this needs to just happen already, is coming from both sides, really. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Camille says, never forget that any I hate you statements really mean I'm scared and I don't know what to do with these feelings. Don't take it personally. It can be very lonely if you do. I need to work on this, Amy. (laughs) 
Hmm, this is another one. This is very, uh, Camille, I'm going to use this one. I hate you. And just here in my head, I'm scared and I don't know what to do with these feelings. That's a really good replacement because I hate when people say don't take it personally. They just said, I hate you, like something personal and intentionally wounding. Of course you take it personally. Like someone told you they hate you. Yeah. Right. It isn't like he's yelling at the dog and I'm taking it personally. He's yelling at me and he's saying you are awful. Of course you take it personally. Like what does that even mean? But I understand this idea that you can replace what they are saying with what they mean. The other thing I want to underline here, because I think that this is so important, and this is the conversation that I'm having with a lot of my friends as our kids really get into teenagedom, is boundary-seeking behavior, which is another one of my mom's terms. But basically, that kids are actually looking for boundaries, and that it can sound kind of in contrast to everything else we've said, but it's so important that Kids are pushing boundaries and they want to feel them. And so I would say that saying I hate you to me is unacceptable in my house. And so I have to watch how I react to it. I can't be like the top that explodes. But I would say I'm not having a conversation with someone who says that to me go upstairs or I'm going to go into my room and we can discuss this later when you're calmer. But I am not allowing someone to say I hate you to my face in my home. It is not happening. And so you're not getting what you want out of this conversation. And there are some consequences to saying I hate you to me because I really do think that kids are like hitting that tripwire because in some ways they want to understand that you're really still in charge. Yes. And that if you keep moving the boundaries back every time they hit them, kids feel very insecure. Like they want a weighted blanket thrown over them, which is your rules. And they want to know that like they can't get away with things because it's their job to push and it's your job to be the wall they're pushing against. Remember the ADHD dude was talking about the sort of argument vortex and he was saying specifically kids with ADHD are really turned up for arguments. It's a little hit of dopamine. But I think this is really true for any adolescent that the kid is like, I hate you. What when you could respond to that with a like, you will not talk to me, but then you're feeding the fire. If you instead say what you said or Laura suggested, you say, I did not deserve that. Can you try again, please? But you keep it calm that you're not entering the argument with them. You're still remaining a distance from it. That's what not taking it personally. I'm realizing means it's not trying to convince them like how could you say that when i'm the one who did this i need to change your mind about this right now no you don't you just need to say hey we're not doing that that's not taking it personally we're not doing that i think that's right and i think it can be hard and i have done it and friends of mine have done it when the lines get totally mowed over listen this is harder with kids with certain special needs this can be much harder with kids with adhd it can be much harder with kids on the spectrum And let's just say we're not just saying that it can be much harder. It can be harder with kids who've had trauma and loss. There are a lot of things that make these issues much harder for teens. But I think there is always a back to one to be had here where you can say, listen, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of frustration and our relationship feels out of control to me. And I have had this with one of my kids where I'm like, I have lost the script. This kid is always raging. I'm always throwing gasoline on the fire. I'm, the minute he starts raging, I'm grabbing the gas can and running in and being like spraying it everywhere. And we're both just burning up every day. And 
I have said to myself, to my spouse, to my child, this has gotten out of control and we need to reset. We need to spend, and it doesn't take long. We need to spend two weeks saying boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We're not going to allow this kind of talk. We're not going to allow hysteria in the house. And here's the thing. When it stops working, it stops happening. And that is very encouraging. And it's an opportunity to get on the same side of the net with your kid. And the problem is like, we seem to be fighting a lot and there's a lot of stress and it's and this is a stressful time. And, but you're with them. And I, I have had success with, you can't do that with every problem with every teenager, but overall I have had success with like, this feels like we've gotten off path. And how do you suggest we do this? It works better than young man understand one thing. I mean, when that stops working, try the same side of the net instead. Absolutely. I have one more thing to say about that. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Is your self-esteem too high? It's so nice to be at an age where I just finally accept myself for who I am. Getting to bed too early every night? Mm, I'm in the mood to tuck in at 9.30 and then read for a little while and get eight blissful hours of sleep. Do you find yourself burdened by having too much money and food in your life? <sighs> 
Try teenagers. Are you kidding me? There's nothing to eat. I thought you were going to the store. With teenagers, you'll never have to worry about free evenings again. Instead, you'll be arguing with your offspring about whether or not a bikini top is proper attire for Grandma's 83rd birthday dinner. It's fine. Why are you so uptight, Mom? Still not convinced? Well, consider the exercise you'll get pacing the floor while waiting for the kid you used to buckle into his car seat to drive himself home at 1 a.m. My God, what time is it? Shouldn't he be home? Oh, God, it's only 10 p.m. Three more hours of terrified waiting. Did someone say self-esteem? With teenagers, you'll be back to levels you haven't seen since walking around the middle school cafeteria looking for a place to sit. God of War and God of Thunder have nothing to do with each other. How dumb can you be? Sorry, I was just trying to make conversation. Well, please stop. It's cringe. I think I'll go talk to the cat. Try teenagers. I need some money. Can you hurry up? Christine says, You might be surprised by the grief you feel as teenagers grow into themselves. Give yourself space to feel your feelings, but don't make it their problem. (laughs) Oh, this is really right and true. And I think... For some of my kids who, you know, especially when they're little and I feel like we all think we're so smart and I would have conversations like, you'll never be the teen who hates me. Ha ha. With my like little cuddly eight year old. Spoiler alert. They are. And I think it's hard. Like, I do feel like we think we're going to be immune to some of these things. And like, we're too cool and with it and hip to have kids who hate us. It They're supposed to. It's developmentally appropriate. Skip this phase at your own peril, for sure. And you can't outsmart it. You can't outrun it. You can't go over it. Can't go under it. Only way is through it. Yeah. Lawrence Steinberg said in his book, Crossing Pass, which I read recently, that's why I keep talking about it, but that their needs for connection to you change. And what's painful is that your needs haven't changed. You even really haven't changed. Exactly. I I still have the same taste in clothes I did three years ago. It's just three years ago. It was really fun to go shopping with my kid. And now it's not because everything I pick is super, super stupid. Yeah. How did I lose? I've lost my touch. No, I haven't lost my touch. It's just... What mom thinks is now very, very low on the totem pole. Kids cannot grow into like happy, sustainable adults without going through some sort of cleaving. Cleaving, the only word in the English language that means one thing and the opposite of that thing. Cleaving can mean coming together or coming apart. I'm talking about breaking apart. (laughs) And there, I think it can be helpful. A pediatrician told me when I had a colicky baby, crying is the only exercise that an infant gets. So whenever they're crying, think of like, oh, here they are. They're working out their lungs. They're getting their exercise. How great. It doesn't work, really, but it's a just a little mind reset. And I think that cleaving is the exercise of teenage dumb is a phrase that helps me in terms of like when I'm being told I'm dumb or getting the door slammed in my face. And again, I don't allow nonsense in my I don't allow myself to be disrespected in my house and I'm not going to. But some of the like, we don't want to include you, we want to include dad or some of the things that might hurt my feelings. I do try to be like, oh, look, it's cleaving here right on schedule. And they're doing the important work that is going to make us close as adults. Mm -hmm. They're cleaving. Mm -hmm. And I think that what happens is we get an instinct to stop that, to control it, and that we have to fight against that. Mm -hmm. 
Danielle says, and this really spoke to me because I'm struggling with this and it was something I had to like do a full reset on. Save all your energy for nighttime. I'm an early rising morning person, but without fail, my teens always want to dump their most intimate secrets as I'm ready to fall asleep. Learn from my mistakes. Despite what they say about these being awful times, it's nice to have some time to yourself when you feel you've gotten over the hump. I think that this... It's like after school restraint collapse that our ADD guy told us to. There's a nighttime like deregulation effect, right? That sometimes the half an hour before bed is the time that you'll get like the big tantrum and the big breakdown. Seems very familiar to me. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. So two sides of this. One is that sometimes you have to kind of read it. Like, yes, that can be a good time for connection and finding out what's really going on. But I also think sometimes it's a good time for like throwing yourself in the lava and both of you burning up. So I think you have to be a little bit careful about night times in terms of when they are productive conversations. Great. If they are not productive conversations, sometimes it is just time to go to bed. Right. And I would say be available. It's this passively available thing. I think like you never know when your teenager is all of a sudden going to start to unburden themselves or start to be like, okay, so remember I told you about this and they, they have a long story for you and you were su- maybe supposed to leave for the dentist five minutes ago, but those things come when they come and they pick the strangest moments and I try to always be like, oh, I'm in it. They need me. This is stop what you're doing. Give them your full attention. And for me, it's not always late at night. I will say it's not in the morning. My oldest kid, post-teenager, is home for the summer, has an internship that has him getting up early in the mornings, and I'm up early in the morning, so I've been sitting with him. He's not really in the mood for <laughs> talking. Not, it's not personal. It's not me. He just can't really talk yet at 7.45 in the morning. But I'm around, and you know, one of these mornings, he's going to be like, remember I told you about my friend? And, and you just have to be sort of ready for it, I think. Yeah. Somebody made the point a long time ago. Anytime you're not having eye contact is a good time for a conversation. Driving a car with your back to them while they're cooking, like that can be an easier time to have a conversation. Not when you're like kind of staring them down like, what? What? Give me every detail. Like passive conversation is good. We had a lot of people point out like giving kids a system to get out of bad situations, texting an X, having a code word, whatever it happens to be. I think that's a great way to give kids power in situations, giving kids carte blanche or like get out of jail free cards around certain things. Like you're never going to be in trouble if it's something that's going wrong and I can help you with it. And starting to figure out conversations around these more adult topics, which is text me an X and I will come and be like, grandma's in the hospital. We have to go right now. Whatever it is, I will get you out of the situation if you text me an X. And also setting some understanding around you're never in trouble if you call me for help, I think can be a really good place to go mm-hmm. so that you're really saying like, okay, you got in the car and then you realize somebody had too much to drink. Like whatever it is, you call me, I will get involved in this situation. And like you can call for a get out of jail free because you're calling for help. Right. Because your safety is more important. Michelle Eichard, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to our fresh take that we did with her. She wrote a book called 14 Talks by Age 14. It's very good. And she, I think it was Michelle that said, and I thought this was such good advice, if you have that uncomfortable conversation, if you need to talk about porn, if you need to talk about, you know, being sexually active, whatever it is, is there going to be alcohol at this party, that the car is a great place to do it because there's a built-in ending. 
or I don't know, an elevator ride, whatever, that you sort of say on the way. So I want to talk to you about this. And I know it's a little uncomfortable. We're going to talk about it. But you're together with them in a situation that has a built-in end zone. Like between now and when my mom is going to drop me off at school, she wants to talk to me about vaping. But I know it's a five-minute ride to school. And that those are sort of perfect times for both of you to have the tricky conversations. And I will say from the future, someone is showing your kid porn before you talk to them about porn. Someone is vaping around your kid before you feel like having the vaping conversation. Someone is doing one of your kid's friends is sexually active before you've had the sex talk with them. And yes, it is hard to get ahead of these things. And there is never a day where you wake up and you're like, you know what? I really want to talk to my 11 year old about today. Porn. It's not going to happen. That day is not coming. And so you really have to. And I do think one very easy entree is use my parents trick is like, gosh, we got a letter from the high school and they're already talking about porn in high school and you're only in fifth grade. Like that seems crazy. Or they're already talking about it in middle school. And like, it seems crazy to me, but it's out there. You can put it way out in a field somewhere and talk about it very kind of this is something I'm right, hearing over about, there right without right out being like are any of your weird friends watching porn and what are you going to do if they show it to you like if you put it right on your kid they're going to be much less likely to take it than if you can kind of put it out in a field and be like yeah this is odd that this is going on what would you do if that happened you know and make it more theoretical Amy not me different Amy this sounds like good advice I'm not sure I understand it but I think it's good advice with teenagers Amy says you should be the thermostat not the thermometer and that sounds so sage but what does that mean exactly do you know I think it means that you are not there to be like you're doing this you're doing that I'm observing and judging everything you're doing and I'm recording in a scientific way like you're this you're that you're this you're that you're helping them to self-regulate I believe that's the translation all right that like instead of I think that's right and I think that that's where I struggle with teenagers to some degree is like I see what you're doing I see what you're doing I see what you're doing I know what you're up to I see what you're doing and that in fact I need to be like like, you seem to be having a hard time. How can I help you adjust that? And so I think that is very, very good teenage advice. We've had tons of good advice in this episode. I'm going to put the link in the show notes to the actual Facebook thread because this and so many of our topics come from our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Hellcast. We talk about all kinds of funny, serious and in-between stuff. And it's a great group to be a part of. If you want even more What Fresh Hell, you can sign up for What Fresh Hell Plus. We have an ad-free feed for all of our episodes, all of our back catalog. We do bonus episodes every single month. And you can sign up by visiting our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com, and clicking on the little picture that says What Fresh Hell Plus. I'll also put the link in the show notes for that in case that's too much trouble. You can just click the link wherever you're listening right now. It's super easy. Let's make it easy as possible. Sign up for What Fresh Hell Plus for even more What Fresh Hell. And with that, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. So long. When it comes
comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.